Hey there, welcome to Build Your Tribe. My name is Shalene Johnson. And my name is Brock Johnson. My mission is to share with you everything I've learned from my 25 years in business, from idea inception to big business marketing strategies. And my goal is to share with you social media money-making strategies to help you transform your idea into passive income, even when you have limited time and a tight budget. All right, Brock, this one's all you. Take it away. Hey, Brock Johnson here, and today I'm taking over Build Your Tribe to talk about story. Have you noticed that stories are popping up everywhere recently? There's Snapchat, Instagram stories, Facebook stories, even YouTube jumping on the bandwagon with YouTube Reels. Match.com has stories, GoPro has stories, even SportsCenter. Their new tagline is, you may know the score, but we know the story. There's a reason why stories are so popular. And if you do it right, you can use them to draw your lifers to you, make a connection, and build a relationship that's so much stronger than anything you can create via photo or an edited video. There's something truly special about the realness of stories, and it helps us build trust in a way that can turn followers into loyal, lifelong customers. It can completely change your business. So today I want to share with you a talk that I gave at the Marketing Impact Live event on how to use stories to grow your business, whether it's on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or wherever, with five stories habits that you need to do to be successful. I really enjoyed sharing this information with the people who were at the event, and I think you'll enjoy it too. Here we go. So today I'm going to be talking about story. And if you don't mind, I would like to start with a story, and actually a story about a story. And the story that I'm going to tell you about is actually, it's a short story written by a great storyteller, one of the greatest uh, American authors of the 20th century, Ernest Hemingway. And the story goes that he was out at a bar with his friends. If you know anything about Ernest Hemingway, that wasn't too unique for him. But he was uh, out at a bar with some friends and the bartender challenged them and said, which one of you can write the most profound short story using the least amount of words possible? So Sir Ernest Hemingway took out his pen and quickly wrote down six words on a napkin. Those six words read, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Yeah. Uh, you feel that. And I, I went back and forth about using this short story because it's a very, very sad short story. And I knew that the reaction would be, oh. but I think, I think you can see that in just six words, the whole room felt that. In just six words, the whole entire room felt, oh, that's so sad. That story tells so much with just so few words. And over the past year, I've, I've really div- dove in to storytelling. I've become obsessed with story. I've bought so many courses. I've been reading books. I've, been, I've watched every single TED Talk you could imagine. I've watched hours and hours of YouTube videos on, on storytelling. I've listened to people tell stories. And uh, there, there's, there's so many resources out there. There's so many guides. There's so many techniques and practices. It, it can be overwhelming. You know, being a high school student, uh, now in college, there, there's essay writing and there's storytelling and they say, you know, you need an arc of a narrative. You need a protagonist and an antagonist. You need a hook. You need a resolution, a climax. You need all these different things. You need a central theme that carries throughout. And it can be very, very overwhelming. But I think we would all agree that in those six words, we felt that impact and we felt that power. So I wanted to start by just 
hopefully allowing you to take a deep breath and realizing that stories don't need to be overcomplicated. We don't need to spend hours and hours and hours studying as I have for the past year because ultimately is what I found is you just need to make people care. So I would like to begin by talking about mirror neurons. Mirror neurons is one of the reasons that storytelling is so powerful because when you tell stories, you move from a place of a passive listener to an active listener. When I'm telling a story, you don't just listen. Your brain actually acts as if you were the one in the story. And storytelling isn't a new thing. You know, last year I was up here, I talked about Snapchat. Some of you may have been here. Some of you may remember that. I talked about Snapchat. And soon after that, Instagram stories came out and then Facebook stories. And now I don't know if you know this, but there's Facebook messenger stories. Match.com now has stories. You can attract your mate with stories. GoPro Hero, the little GoPro camera, you can now create stories for those. The other day I was watching ESPN, I was watching SportsCenter, and their new punchline that they just started using is, you may know the score, but we know the story. It's as if everyone in the last 365 days has like woken up and realized, wow, storytelling, it's amazing, it's powerful. But we as human beings, we've always known this. We've been speaking give or take, for 100,000 years. I took linguistics class over summer, so I know that. But we've been speaking for about 100,000 years. And when we first started speaking, we weren't sharing statistics. We weren't, you know, typing out emails. We weren't writing each other notes even. We were telling stories. Hey, over there, there's some tall trees, and in the tall trees, there's a lion. Don't go over there, you'll get eaten. Our brains had to process that. We had to remember it. That story had to stick in our brain or else we would die. Here we are 100,000 years later and we have Snapchat stories. We have all these social media stories. We don't have to worry about the lion in the tree, but the story is still hardwired into our brain. So, you know, I go to uh, UC Davis up in Northern California. It's about an hour. We got Aggie up in the house. Nice. I like it. Um, It's about an hour away from here uh, by flight. So sometimes I like to come home on the weekends. And when I come home on the weekends, there is nothing better than going to Grandma Johnson's house. I wake up on a Sunday morning, roll out of bed at like 11 o'clock. Because if I ever call her up, I'm like, Grandma, should I come over? She's like, yeah, I'll make you breakfast. How's 11 o'clock sound? 11 o'clock breakfast sounds great. So I wake up, roll out of bed at about 10 o'clock, cruise over there in in my pajamas. I'm greeted at the front door by a golden retriever wagging his tail, a big hug from Grandma, and I'm overcome with the smell of a dozen scrambled eggs, two pounds of bacon, 12 cinnamon rolls. And mind you, this is all for me. (laughs) I hear Fox News on the TV. And then for an hour straight, I get to pig out while my grandma just feeds me compliments. So I'm, I'm being fed with her food and I'm just being fed compliments of how great I am. I wish she was here today because man, she would, she would be pumping me up. In fact, I should probably go over there tomorrow morning. (laughs) But do you feel that? You can all feel that right now. You can all smell that smell. You can all picture your grandma. And I say your grandma because you're not picturing my grandma. 99.9% of the people in this room have never met my grandma, have never been to her house and have never had her cooking. But as I tell the story of my grandma, and this is just a short, quick story, you are visualizing your own grandma. Your mirror neurons are firing and you feel as if you are in this story. You're living it out. It's a powerful, powerful phenomenon that goes on with storytelling. 
There's actually three main chemical reactions, not to get too scientific on you today, three main chemical reactions that can take place during storytelling. First of these is dopamine. Dopamine, when released into the brain, causes an increase in focus, memory, and motivation. I think that's something that we would all love from people who are listening to us speak, our coworkers, our potential clients or customers. We would love it if they would all have increased focus, memory, and motivation. Wouldn't that be great? And so this was about two years ago now. I had uh, finished my senior high school football season and I was now on the other side of the country. I was in Washington, D.C., on the other side of the world, or so it seemed. It's hot here, it was cold there, it was winter, everyone had a funny accent. Uh, People were driving on the wrong side of the road for all I cared about, but I was on the other side of the world. And so I spent this entire weekend over there getting recruited, being told what a great university Georgetown was, and getting told how great I was at the same time. It was a very confusing time. There was all of us on this recruiting weekend, and on Sunday night, before we were to fly home on Monday morning, they brought us all into the lobby of the hotel, all 15 of us recruits who were there that weekend. And we all sat there nervously, beads of sweat rolling down our face, hands shaking, nervously looking back and forth between our parents, the assistant coaches, and the one TV that happened to be in the, in the lobby of the hotel. And one by one, players were being taken up, taken upstairs for what we assumed was a meeting with the head coach. One by one, players were getting taken up. And as you may have guessed, I was the last one to go up. So I'm sitting there shaking. Everyone else is going up one by one. Some are up there for 15 minutes. Some are up there for an hour. Some are coming back down, smiles on their face. Their mothers are crying tears of joy. Others are crying tears of sadness with looks as if they had just seen a ghost. Finally, it was my time to go up. The director of football operations came over and said, Brock, you ready? Yes, sir. I followed him up. We went over to the elevator. My parents in tail pressed the up elevator button. We got in. And man, that elevator ride took six hours. (laughs) It felt like every floor, ding. (laughs) Ding. Man. It took forever to get up there. And finally, we get up there, and the doors slowly open. I didn't know elevator doors could go that slow, but they slowly open. And we start walking down the hallway towards the very end. And it seems like with each step, it feels like we're on a treadmill. Like the hallway is just getting longer and longer. Like we're never going to get to the end. Finally, finally, we get to the end, and I grab the doorknob. The coach stops and says, you go ahead. Okay, yeah, because I feel really confident right now. I'll grab the door. So I grab the doorknob, turn it, I walk in. And it's almost completely dark in the room, as if it's the back of this very room, completely dark. One single spotlight is on the head coach's chair, where he's sitting godfather style, (laughs) arms up, big giant chair with a spotlight overhead. And there's three chairs that we can faintly make out that are directly across from him. He tells us to have a seat. I sit down in the middle. And he says, Brock, Now, if I don't tell you what he says there, that's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, that's annoying. That's because your dopamine levels are really, really high right now. Your brain wants to know what to focus on, what to remember. Your brain wants to know what I'm about to say next. But I took that away from you. And that, I'm actually not going to tell you what he said, just as a practice so that you can feel what dopamine feels like. 
the next kind of chemical reaction, I promise it won't be as annoying, the next chemical reaction that takes place in your mind is a release of oxytocin. This promotes generosity, a building of trust with the speaker, and a bonding with that speaker. Again, things that we would all love if our clients, customers, people listening, or even just someone who we're having a conversation with outside in the lobby. We would all love it if they could have more generosity, more trust in us, and more of a bonding to us. I love snowboarding. My family loves snowboarding. It's our favorite thing to do besides playing football. And since two of our family members are my mom and my sister and they can't play football, we all go snowboarding as a family. It's what we do. Um, we're average snowboarders, been snowboarding our entire life. And in, on February 12th of 2012, we were doing something that we've done many times now, which is we've gone backcountry snowboarding. For those of you who don't know, basically, it's a bunch of random people crammed into a metal crate. You're driven up a giant mountainside where there's avalanche danger. You have to wear a beacon at all times. It's intense stuff. It, you, you could die out there. Every year, people die out there. It's very scary. We love to do it, and we do it as a family. That was February, <laughs> that was February 12th. February 13th, we were still in Utah. It was our last day. We were flying home that night. And so me and my dad are like, let's just go cruise. You know, we're not, we're not going to go backcountry snowboarding today. Let's just go cruise down the mountain, you know, a green bunny slope. Just, just let's just go cruise. Let's have a couple minutes, just me and my dad just hanging out. First run of that last day, I'm cruising down, coming up on the chairlift, actually. The last 95% of the run going down, just cruising. The day before I was in avalanche danger today, I'm just cruising on a nice little bunny hill. And then bam, I hit a sheet of ice. I flipped over and I landed. I, I would do it up here, but I might hurt myself. Landed directly on my shoulder, shattered my collarbone, shattered. And, and I've broken many bones before. So, so I know about broken bones. Some bones, they go like this. Some bones, they totally break. Mine literally went school and crossbone style. It went boop and it crossed. I was devastated. I knew instantly that this was bad. I ripped off all my gear and I started holding my shoulder. My dad came over to me and said, Brock, Brock, are you okay? I said, no, I, I know I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I inched over. There was a, a chair at the bottom of the run. I sat down in it and just waited for the, the mountain people to come and tell me out, bring me down, mountain people. <laughs> Ski patrol. I waited for them to come over and... Uh, take me down the mountain. I was very disoriented at that time, I'll tell you. They actually, they brought me to a car. I wasn't going to say this, but they brought me to a car. And I remember the entire car ride down the mountain, I was staring at myself in the rear view mirror. Just, I was in really, I was in a lot of pain, but that was all I could think about. I was like looking myself in the eyes. So anyways, that's, that shows you how much pain I was in. I was disoriented. But so I got to the bottom, they laid me down, they gave me an x-ray and the results came in exactly what I expected which was that my collarbone was shattered. And I don't think I needed an x-ray for that because you could see the bone starting to push its way through the skin. So I don't know if we really needed a doctor's opinion to let that one be aware. But I was devastated. More than the physical pain I was in, which was excruciating to be at this high altitude with this extreme pain in your shoulder. And then after that, we had to drive back up the mountain to get all my gear, come back down, and we flew home that night. So that was all excruciating pain. But worse than that was the psychological pain and the mental pain I was in. You see, I was going into my junior football season. I had been waiting my whole life for this. 
my whole life had led up to varsity football at Mission Viejo High School. My grandpa was the head coach. My dad and uncle both coached as well. I dreamed about this, being a ball boy since I was in second grade. And now my opportunity to prepare was being taken away from me. This was my off season to get ready for varsity football. And I now knew that that time was gonna be greatly taken away from me because of an accident. I was devastated. Long story short, I'll, I'll save you all the details. We eventually had a, a great high school career and I really feel that if I wouldn't have broken my collarbone, I wouldn't have had the career that I had, I wouldn't have ended up at Georgetown, and if I wouldn't have ended up at Georgetown, I would have never started Unwrapped Snap, I would have never spoken here last year, I would have never transferred to UC Davis, and if it wasn't for the seven screws in the plate that are still in my collarbone today, I wouldn't be up on this stage right now. Now you know what it's like to bond with a speaker. I hope you feel uh, a little bit more trustworthy in me now than when I was making you feel that high level of dopamine mean earlier just to take it away from you. The final, the final, the third and final and the most fun chemical reaction that takes place in your mind when you listen to storytelling is the release of endorphins. Endorphins are like the, the runner's high type of drug. It's a natural high, it's a happiness, it's a stress reliever, it's a natural pain reducer. It feels great, not as annoying as when I take away your dopamine. So I don't know if you ever feel this, but sometimes when I wake up, I have the most strange thoughts. The most random motivations, the randomest things will pop into my mind. It's not a dream, but it's the first thought that I have in the day and it oftentimes will stick with me. So last Saturday morning, I woke up, as most days begin, and the first thing I thought to myself was, I'm gonna wear overalls today. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I trusted that thought. <laughs> I thought, I should wear overalls today. Again, about a year ago, I saw some Instagram pictures and I saw some guys wearing overalls and they looked really cool, so I bought some overalls. As soon as I bought them, I texted my sister, Sierra, and she's into fashion, so she's good at this stuff. I said, Sierra, I bought some overalls. She said, oh no, oh no. But I hadn't worn them for a year because she said, oh no. So I left them in the closet, they were folded up. They were saved for a nice Saturday like last weekend. Wake up and I have the urge. So, all right, I put on the overalls and these are full on, I mean, they're not like Levi's overalls. I had a pair of those in high school, but they're like full on all the way down, full all the way up. Like I got both buttons strapped because apparently I'm not allowed to just do one or the other. That's like too hip hop or, so I do both overalls strapped. And then I thought to myself, two things. Number one, I don't want to be seen by my teammates. And number two, I need to go in an environment where this is socially acceptable. And so I live in Davis, California. So I went to the farmer's market. The farmer's market. <laughs> the farmer's market in Davis is twice a week. Most cities, some cities don't have farmer's markets and no cities have it twice a week. Davis, we have it twice a week and it's huge. Like hundreds of people. But I knew that my teammates wouldn't be there because they're too cool for a farmer's market. So I, and I go all the time. I went to the farmer's market with my overalls on and I just, I just started shopping. I started getting my, my organic fruits, my organic vegetables, feeling all healthy and good about myself. I'm, I'm wearing my overalls, so I was like asking questions, pretending like I knew about farming things. <laughs> and then I'm walking, I'm walking, 
And this beautiful girl passes by. She's walking that way and she passes by and I was like, whoop. I was like, who is that? I gotta, I gotta get her number. So I start following after her, which I realized in hindsight might have been a little bit creepy to be following after her. But then she keeps walking, so I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna chase her down, but so I'll just, whatever, I'll keep going and talk to more farmers. So I'm walking again, and then again, something about Davis Farmer's Market. Another beautiful girl passed by, whoop! I'm ready for her this time. And I was like, all right, where's she going? And she immediately stopped, and it was an act of God. She sat down on a bench right there, and I was like, oh yeah. Here we go. I'm getting her number. Here we go. Here we go. And so she's sitting, you can imagine, she's sitting on the edge of the stage. I go. Walked around a little bit. Adjusted the overall straps, made sure they were tight, making sure my, my chest looks big. And at this point, I realize I'm wearing overalls. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did I really just adjust my overall straps to go talk to a girl? I was like, yes, I did. This is who I am now. All right. I was like, but man, I can't, I can't get hyped. So I, I grab my phone and I text my friends in the group chat. And I'm like, guys, hype me up. I need some hype. Tell me I'm good at stuff. <laughs> to which my friends all reply in unison. I thought, I thought they would be like, you know, it's telling me, like, you're, you're, you're a great guy, Brock. You host a podcast, Brock. And they don't care about that stuff. And I was like, instead, they were like, just do it. <laughs> I, got, I got four gifts of, of the, just do it. <laughs> okay. I played, all right, guys, here I go. And I walk up. And I, I had planned out this entire conversation in my mind. I had walked myself through exactly how it would go. Excuse me, do you go to Davis? She would say, yes, I do, because why else would she be at the Davis Farmer's Market? I would say, my name is Brock. She would introduce herself. May I have your number? I'd give her number. I'd walk away. Simple, simple. I walk up. Hi, do you go to Davis? No. And outside, I stayed calm, but inside, I was screaming because the entire script that was in my mind was just blown up. It was gone, totally gone. I was like, oh, and then so like instinctually, I, was, I started asking questions. I was like, oh, what brings you to these parts? <laughs> Again, I don't know why I was talking like that. What brings you to these parts? And I'm standing, she's sitting, I'm wearing my overalls, and she goes, she goes oh, I, I'm from Iowa State. I, uh, I'm out here interning for a couple months. And I was like, oh, there's two questions you shouldn't ask a woman, which is how much do you weigh and how old are you? And so of course, the second question I ask is, well, how old are you? And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm 21. And I was like, oh, okay. You like the farmer's market? I, I, I really, I had no idea where I was going with this. And she was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I should probably introduce myself. I've just asked her like four very personal questions. Hi, I'm Brock. Brock, nice to meet you. Her name is Marissa. And I was like, hey, Marissa, uh, do you think I could have your number, please? Which is, I know, like the smoothest, the smoothest pickup line. Like I have like, I have memorized like 50 pickup lines. And my, the one that I usually go to is, can I have your number, please? <laughs> like, like a four-year-old, like, can I have a lollipop, please? Can I have your number, please? And so I, and she's like, somehow she says yes. It must have been the overalls or something. I mean, she's from Iowa, so the overalls might have been a little bit more normal. <laughs> and so I hand her, I hand her my phone. She puts, she puts it in, and she's totally cool. And so she's putting in the number, and she makes a little cute little joke, which is like, should I put in farmer's market, you know, just so you can find me later? You know, cute little joke. And what I thought I was going to say back, 
what I thought I was going to say back was, uh, yeah, you know, I probably still wouldn't narrow it down. <laughs> See, a joke. See, it would have been funny. She would be like, ha, 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 give me a phone. Instead, what I said was, ha, yeah, there's lots of girls in the numbers. <laughs> that was a direct quote. Ha, yeah, lots of girls in the numbers. <laughs> smooth, smooth, smooth. So I can get up on stage and talk for an hour, but I can't talk to a girl for 30 seconds. So she, she types in her number, hands me her phone, and we're actually going on a date on Monday. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad I got you to laugh. That was the intention behind that story because now you're all a little bit happier, a little bit less stressed. The number one story commandment is to just make me care. Earlier, I told you that there's so many resources there's so much out there. There's so many do this, do that, have this kind of character, have a theme, all that stuff. All that really matters is that you make me care. Make me care. And how do you do that? Well, I have some story habits for you, five story habits to be exact. The first one is to make it personal. And this is a, a big misconception that comes with storytelling. And people try to make stories too broad. Chances are you've never worn overalls to a farmer's market and had a tough time talking to a girl. But that story made everyone laugh and everyone's going to remember that story. Because I made it personal. You care because I care. We all care about things that are personal to ourselves. If you try and make your stories too broad, too generic, too one-size-fits-all, you'll lose your own passion. And the audience will pick up on that passion that you've lost. And so that's why the first habit is to make it personal. The second habit to a good story is to focus on emotion. This is something that we oftentimes struggle with because the stories that we're constantly watching on the news are, are focused on facts. You know, we come to conferences, we want the numbers. Give me the numbers. I haven't given you one number yet, unless I forgot it, but that would just show you that I forgot it because it's a number. I'll give you one number. Stories are remembered 22 times more than facts are. Stories are remembered 22 times more than facts are. So when you're telling stories, focus on emotion. Focus on how the event made you feel. Focus on how you felt at grandma's house, how you felt when you shattered your collarbone how you felt that you were late to work that day. Stories don't always have to be that you shattered your collarbone. Sometimes the story can just be what you wore to the farmer's market on Sunday. Actually, it was Saturday. But the point is that you need to focus on emotion, worry less about facts, getting every little detail right, what temperature was it outside. Stop being a news reporter and start focusing on emotion. The next habit is to practice, practice, practice. I can't say this enough. When I was diving into storytelling and really becoming passionate about it over summer, what I realized was that I don't tell very many stories. My entire life, I've loved talking and my parents have never been able to get me to shut up, but it was mostly just random facts that I would rattle off all the time. And I wasn't actually a storyteller. And as someone who uses Snapchat stories and Instagram stories and Facebook stories and Facebook Live, and blah, 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 I need to be a good storyteller. 
So I began practicing. And I began practicing with stories that weren't my own and some that were. So I would just Google, look up joke stories, funny stories. And every single day of fall camp during football season, I would come up to the quarterback room and I'd say, guys, I have a story to tell you today. And the first day I was like, all right, Brock, what is it? And the second day I was like, all right, Brock, what is it? And then by the third day I was like, oh God, here we go. Here we go. Brock's got more stories to tell. But I still remember those stories. Because like I said, we remember stories. So practice, practice, practice. For your own personal stories, I would recommend indexing them, writing them down, keeping a running list. This way you can continue to practice, practice, practice. And there it is, the fourth habit is to keep a list of your stories. We're gonna forget stories. In fact, when I was preparing this speech, I had to think, hmm, what story do I wanna use here? What story do I wanna use to release this kind of chemical into your brain? And I didn't have to think back really hard. I didn't have to scroll through old, old photos and like call up old friends and be like, hey, do you have any good stories from when we were 12? I just went through my list of stories that I had already compiled in my notes. So when you have a list of stories, you're ready to tell any story at any moment. And you're also able to tell those mundane stories, those stories that might seem everyday and, and bland to you, but are actually very important to other people. And that brings me to my fifth habit, which is to believe in yourself. Actually, just yesterday on my podcast, I released an episode with the storytelling expert, Bo Eason. He's spoken on this stage before. Bo's awesome. He's a great guy. He played college football at UC Davis, played in the NFL. He wrote and directed and starred in his own one-man play, but he's a storytelling expert. And I asked him, you know, what's oftentimes the biggest thing that people struggle with when it comes to storytelling? And he said it's that they don't believe in themselves or that they don't believe they have anything worth sharing. And I'm here to tell you that that just isn't true. We all have an expertise and it is your responsibility to share your expertise with the world. Absolutely. Every single person in here has millions of stories. Every single person in here has stories every single day that could impact and change someone else's life. And I think you have the responsibility to tell people. I think that if you're just sitting around and saying, ah, my life's mundane, I do the same thing every day, you might feel that way because you're living that life. It's like a clock ticking on a wall eventually you don't hear it anymore. Because you're living that life every day, you may not realize how impactful, important, and influential your life may be. But I highly recommend you start indexing your stories, start focusing on, on emotion, and start telling your stories as frequently as you can. So those, again, are the five story habits. Make them personal. Focus on emotion. Practice, practice, practice. Keep track of your stories. And then for the fifth one, I wrote, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Because your story, you may not think much of it, but someone else may think it's just the best. And so I want to close by saying, you know, maybe you're all about Facebook Live. Maybe you're an Instagram fanatic. Maybe you love Snapchat. Maybe Twitter's your jam. Maybe you're obsessed with YouTube. No matter where you are, I encourage you to be a storyteller. Thank you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you. Stories have a tremendous potential to take your business to the next level. I hope you'll start implementing some of these tips and get on stories today. For more information on how to get started, you can visit 7daycc.com. That's the 7-Day Content Challenge, a week-long challenge that I created in order to teach you what to post and when to post on your Instagram feed, your Instagram stories, and your Snapchat stories.
I also give you some pointers on storytelling, caption writing, and a ton of other free bonuses. Again, that's called the 7-Day Content Challenge, and you can learn more at 7daycc.com. And to learn more about the Marketing Impact Academy, go to www.marketingimpactacademy.com. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it so much. I never thought I would be a podcaster, and I never imagined joining my mom on her podcast. But being a co-host of Build Your Tribe has really been such a blessing. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to what I had to say.